Welcome to ASHTA Resource Q&A. We're taking time to discuss construction materials testing and inspection with people in the know. From exploring testing problems and solutions to laboratory best practices and quality management, we're covering topics important to you. Now, here's our host, Brian Johnson. Welcome to ASHTO Resource q and I'm Brian Johnson, and with me is Kimberly Swanson, our producer and co-host. Kimberly, welcome to the podcast today. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for being here. And today we have another one of those FAQ episodes. And I'm going to just dive right in because I know we have a policy, the ASHTO accreditation policy and guidance on refusal of service. So I was hoping you could talk a little bit about that today. I'm happy to. This is a really tough one because when people request our services, of course we want to provide them. We serve a role to evaluate the competency and validate the conformance to standards and conformance to requirements of the program. We validate that information and we post it on the website and it's used by specifying agencies so that they can trust the laboratories in the program. But sometimes laboratories come in and request services that either are not prepared for accreditation, are not set up to carry out their activities in a way that's in conformance with the ASHTO accreditation program, have conditions or behaviors that are putting our staff at risk, or they gener- and generally behave in a manner that brings the entire program into question. So what I'm saying is that laboratory is behaving in an unethical way that basically calls the entire program's validity into question. And when I say that that would result in refusal of service, it's not just to protect the integrity of the program and to protect the reputation of the program. It's also to protect the agencies that use our accreditation from being in a situation where they may have to hire a laboratory that is uh, behaving in an unethical or uh, very poor quality manner. How often do you think that the ASHA accreditation program invokes this policy, this right to refuse? How many times have we refused to work with the laboratory because of one of those reasons? It has not happened too much. It's happened a few times. And it comes with a lot of thought and a lot of chances for a laboratory to turn things around. The refusal of service is something that we take extremely seriously. Ashto, as an organization, takes it very seriously, as do the DOTs who are in our oversight committee. Uh, so we would prefer that anybody who gets in a situation where we have called them into question on potential refusal of service, our preference would be for them to turn it around. Our preference would be to provide the service. Our our preference would be for them to behave in an ethical and uh, quality-driven manner. But as in all walks of life, there are some people who are unwilling or unable to do so. So we do have that as a consequence for people who have not developed the quality mindset or continual improvement mindset, uh, especially as it pertains to ethical operations. So besides the ethical 
issues, the policy also states for the unsafe working conditions. So can you expand on that a little bit more? I can. Well, safety is a big deal at, well, everywhere, right? Uh, And especially in the workplace. Our director, Steve Lenker, one significant change that he made when he was hired is he really had a, a laser focus on safety. We have improved. We take safety extremely seriously at Ashto Resource, and we expect the laboratories that are hosting our assessors in the field, they don't have to take it as seriously as us necessarily, but they need to take it seriously enough where we feel comfortable, our staff feels comfortable working there. I'll give you one example that was so bad that we had to leave and could not deliver an assessment. There was a laboratory that had, it was in a dilapidated structure that was falling apart and had mold in the ceiling that was visible and lots of problems where the assessor did not want to be in there breathing mold all day. So we stopped the assessment and that was not an official refusal of service to the point where we will never provide services, but that was a refusal of service to the point where you need to either fix this building up or move to a satisfactory laboratory structure where we can have our employee perform the assessment and we can expect quality work to come out of that laboratory. Because it's it's not, even though the reason why it was stopped was because of our staff's safety, how could we accredit a laboratory that's in that kind of condition? What kind of work could be coming out of that kind of facility that would give you any confidence in the work, in the quality of work, the numbers that are being generated? I know for me, I wouldn't be satisfied with that. And I wouldn't expect any of our accredited laboratories to operate that way. Yeah, that's a really good point. And another part of our policy also states that we have the right to refuse service if the laboratory or their personnel is creating a hostile working environment too. So that's a little different than the safety concerns. Do you want to expand on that a little bit? That is different. And if you have ever worked in a hostile work environment, you know why we would not want our staff to be entering into that situation. There are some people who really don't understand how to work with other people and they are aggressive, you know, overly aggressive. And that aggression can lead to concerns with how our staff are being treated. So we would prefer our staff not to be subjected to that kind of treatment in the field. So we would stop having the assessment and we would expect a change to take place at that laboratory before we can visit again. It's not a never It's a take corrective action and talk to us later if you are willing to do that. Now, if you are the director of the laboratory and you are the hostile one, it's going to be a little trickier because people don't change very easily when they're of that mindset. So chances are if they were hostile at that point, they probably aren't even willing to consider a change or pursue it again. But if they have a uh, moment of reflection uh, that has been meaningful to them and they are willing to do it again and we can get assurance that they are going to be on their best behavior and we can expect to be having our staff treated with respect. And I'm not talking about overly respect. They don't have to 
uh, pander to our staff. They just have to treat us like they would uh, want to be treated themselves, just in a normal, respectful way. For those instances that our laboratory assessment staff has left the assessment, the laboratory still has to pay for those services, even though if we didn't render them. We still have to pay the travel costs and still have to pay for those things since we were there, correct? Is that how that, that works? That is correct. We are, yeah, we still expended our time and resources and salaries and, and uh, expenditures, traveling, whatever it is to get to that laboratory. And yes, they would be expected to pay for whatever those costs were for the partial assessment before we ended it. Uh, that is true. Now, there, there's other hostility to, you know, there's harassment. I mean, there's a number of things that can happen. There's some some people get very angry when there's nonconformities. Uh, I'd say that's probably the most common situation that would exist. And again, this is not common for people to do this. Most people are fine. So I, I don't want people to think, wow, they're really dealing with a lot of stuff. This is not a typical thing that takes place. But when it does happen, we have a policy in place that we can show them and hopefully it would give them pause to consider how they're treating people and, and make a change. But of course, like I said, <laughs> that doesn't happen too easily. But yeah, it, it could be harassment. You know, it could be sexual harassment. That's something that you would hope that your staff wouldn't have to be subjected to, but it can happen and we won't put up with it. One thing I hope people are getting out of this particular episode is that we do value the safety of our staff and that we will do what we need to do to protect them from harassment, from hostility, and from unsafe working conditions. So does that hostile environment also apply to customers that we're dealing with maybe over the phone and it's not necessarily in-person hostility? It sure does. And I tell the quality analysts, you don't have to put up with that. If someone is screaming at you on the phone about something, I would say the best strategy is to kind of let them wind wind out. So whatever it is, just t- pull the phone away from your ear, wait till they stop. And then ask them if they're willing to have a conversation, you know, a calm, civil conversation with you. Or if they're not willing to do so, then you just have to end the call and just say, I'm sorry, you know, we'll have to talk again when you're prepared for it. And we expect our staff to be respectful, even when people aren't being respectful to us to a to a point. Uh, if somebody's just unreasonable, I think it's appropriate to hang up on them. And, and I think that that sends a message. But most of the time, it doesn't come to that. Most of the time, people are fine. Uh, but there are times when I, especially when we were all in the office together, that I could actually hear the person through the phone, several desks over, yelling about something. And I would then hear the quality analyst respond in a su- almost surprisingly respectful way <laughs> back to them. And we do train staff on that. We have lots of conversations about dealing with difficult people. I think a lot of people in a lot of different workplaces have received similar training or have learned about how to do that. But it is uh, it is a challenge. And, and a lot of times it's not, the person is not really angry at the person on the other line. Uh, they're angry at the situation. They're frustrated. They don't understand something. They had a misunderstanding about something or miscommunication about something. And they're just desperate to get it resolved and you know, maybe the way they get things resolved is typically by bullying their way through it. Uh, and we don't put up with that. We expect conformance to <laughs> requirements 
and and the laboratories to satisfy the requirements. So we'll do what we need to do, you know, with respect to quality and, and hope we can we can get through to the customer even when they're being hostile. So you mentioned earlier that some of these things that you had talked about, like the envi- safety environment and things like that, that it's not a refusal of service outright, that they can come back into the program. What's that process like? Or when is it a straight up refusal, you can never work with us again kind of scenario? What it looks like is us telling them, giving them instructions. So they may say, or, or we may say to them, this is, these are the conditions in which you can be a participant. And then it's kind of the ball is in their court to figure it out and address the situation and get back to us when they're ready. Uh, So I'd say that would be the kind of um, not now refusal of service. But for repeat offenders, for extreme situations, we would invoke the full refusal of service, which would be we would send them an official notice as we are not going to provide services to you. You have been removed from, you know, whatever program it is. And by the way, you have a right to appeal this if you would like. Now, this is where I'd say nothing is ever final. Oh, I shouldn't say nothing, but a lot of things are never final. Like there are, we, you know, we are through and through believers in continual improvement. So when you believe in continual improvement, it's hard for you to say never because you know that there's a chance that somebody could make some improvements if they are willing to do so. We would say if, if somebody gets a refusal of service for something and they take meaningful corrective action and they appeal the decision, that would go to our oversight committee, which is called the ATG. They would consider the corrective action and determine whether that laboratory should receive another chance. Now, let's say that the ATG decided that they do not think that that laboratory should get another chance. We'd send a letter the, or send a letter that indicates that back to the laboratory. Now, let's say the laboratory does that and says, okay, well, uh, that didn't work. Let's see, we need some other, we need to make some meaningful changes here. What are we gonna do? So let's say they came up with a really meaningful change and they say, we want another chance. Well, we do have a second level appeal process whereby the laboratory can have a hearing with a second level appeals panel, which is comprised of different people who are also uh, members of the AASHTO Committee on Materials and Payments. So it would be a panel of four people. Laboratory would be able to state their case. The panelists would ask them some questions to get some more information. After that meeting, that panel would uh, reconvene and debate and discuss the situation and determine if that laboratory Uh, is still refused services or if they can have another chance? And if so, what are the steps that need to be taken for them to have another chance at this? So if they are given another chance at that point by the second level appeals panel, then we would work with them through that process. But if they say no, then that's it. Second level appeals panel, that's when I, I said earlier, you know, we we're continual improvement, but there are, there are times when it is final. And I would say, but if somebody really intends to make a change and they make a change and it's meaningful and they really take it seriously, I'd say that they can they can get through that process, but they might not if they don't do a good job handling all those 
making the changes and taking seriously corrective serious corrective actions and welcoming continual improvement into their lives <laughs> basically it's like you really you really do have to kind of if you get a refusal of service you gotta you have to do some serious soul searching and figuring out what you can do to get better and be considered for uh you know additional services at that point how does ccrl factor into this policy well at ccrl would have their own policy on how they handle this so we are downstream in that process so if ccrl decided they were going to refuse services then we don't have anything to act upon so let's say uh, ccrl ran into a situation where they determined they couldn't perform a, a, an assessment then we never get an assessment report which means we can't grant accreditation so it kind of just works through the system that way so I think that answers all of the questions that I would have about this. Is there anything else that you'd like to expand upon about the refusal of service policy that we have? No, not really. It's like I said, we don't want to have to do that. We really want people to get better. We really want to see continual improvement. But if it doesn't work out, we have this in our back pocket just to say, Okay, we will we will take this action, this extreme action, if necessary. Yeah, and I think I'd like to reiterate for listeners that this doesn't happen all that often. We have this policy just in case because we've had instances, but it's not such a common occurrence. And most of the laboratories in our programs are upstanding and great to work with and all of that. Yeah, of course. And, and we've got over 2,000 accredited laboratories in our program and most of them are of the continual improvement mindset but you know sometimes you get you get customers that they're trying to start a lab or maybe they're just they've been operating in an unscrupulous way for years and years and they've never needed to get accredited and all of a sudden they need it and they try to go through the process and it just doesn't work out it just it's going to happen there's always a percentage of people out there that are going to act that way and that's why these policies are in place Yep. And if you anyone has more questions about this, we do have a policy on our website about it, or they can email Brian directly if you have a question about it. But I'm thinking most customers aren't going to need to know about this. No, it is rare. And please don't call me and ask, now, if I do this, would you, would I get a refusal? Of, if you're wondering, like, if you're wondering if it's a refusal of service situation, then it probably is. <laughs> that is a general good rule of thumb. And yeah, we don't need to play the what if scenario. Just no, please don't. Don't make me do that. Yeah. Let's just practice good, good safety practices and treat people with respect and be honest. And I think you'll, no one will have a problem with this. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And, and that, <laughs> you know, the honesty part, I know we were trying to wrap it up, but the honesty part can be tough. You're being evaluated, especially the first time. If you've never gone through something like this, you know, you, you want it to go well, just be honest. If the records are wrong, you can correct them. We have we have a time period in place for you to take corrective actions. We will work through it as long as you are willing to do it in an ethical way uh, and you're trying to improve. It's okay. Nonconformities are normal. They happen even with us when we get audited. Nonconformities happen. The, the important part is taking corrective action. That's a good advice to leave on. Thank you very much, Brian, for answering and talking about uh, refusal of service. Thank you. I appreciated the conversation and I hope people 
learn from it and can take it forward and talk to their colleagues about it. Thanks for listening to Ashto Resource Q&A. If you'd like to be a guest or just submit a question, send us an email at podcast at ashtoresource.org or call Brian at 240-436-4820. For other news and related content, check out Ashto Resource's Twitter feed or go to ashtoresource.org.